1: I'd like to call the hearing to order. I'd like to welcome our witnesses today, Director of National Intelligence, Dan Coates. Dan, it's good to see our former colleague. In
2: May, a group of U.S. senators held a public hearing. It was about maybe the most divisive tech company that you've never heard of.
3: Kaspersky Lab software is used by not hundreds of thousands, millions of Americans.
2: Kaspersky Lab, that's Russia's top cybersecurity company. This is Marco Rubio,
3: a Republican senator from Florida. He's sitting behind a wooden dais with the rest of the Senate's Intelligence Committee, and he's questioning a panel of America's most senior intelligence officials. To each of our witnesses, I would just ask, would any of you be comfortable with the Kaspersky Lab
1: software
4: on your computers? A resounding no for me.
1: No. No, Senator. No, sir. No, Senator. No, sir.
2: This software from Kaspersky Lab that none of these intelligence officials want on their computers, it's not just your run-of-the-mill application. It's antivirus software that gets very deep access into our computers to protect us from hackers.
3: Their software is installed all over the United States, in the computers of not just us ordinary consumers, but also in the computers of banks, power plants, internet routers, and even portions of the U.S. government.
2: The intelligence officials in this hearing didn't specify why they see Kaspersky Lab as a security threat. But the senators, once again without mentioning details, seem to be very concerned about the ties that the company has with Russia's own government. The very government that tried to influence and hack the U.S. presidential elections last fall.
3: Today, I'm gonna give you a peek into Kaspersky's connections with people inside Russia's intelligence services, relationships the company has tried to keep secret, It's an investigation that we've been working on for about two years now. These are details that have never been reported on before.
2: Hi, I'm Aki Ito. And I'm Jordan Robertson. And this week on Decrypted, we're gonna be introducing you to Kaspersky Lab and its founder and CEO, Eugene Kaspersky.
3: In Russia, Eugene is a celebrity entrepreneur, one of the few really big names in Moscow's tech industry. He's built a huge business across the U.S. and Western Europe, which together make up more than half the company's sales.
2: Kaspersky himself has publicly denied working with the Russian government, and he's offered to answer senators' questions and to make the company's source code available to the U.S. government to show that there's no cause for concern. But after listening to this episode, I think you'll understand why the U.S. government thinks Kaspersky may be vulnerable to Russian government influence.
3: Now, none of this is meant to suggest that Kaspersky has actually used its connections with the Russian government for malicious purposes. We do not have any basis for believing that.
2: But the combination of having relationships with people in Russian intelligence, as well as the ability to closely monitor large swaths of our digital infrastructure, is making American officials nervous.
3: And other unusual things are happening, too. According to one recent report, FBI agents visited the homes of several Kaspersky employees here in the U.S. Kaspersky confirmed that FBI agents have had brief interactions with some of its U.S. employees, but said the discussions were just due diligence chats.
2: Plus, we'll play you some tape that has never been aired before of Eugene Kaspersky himself talking candidly, on the record, about his relationship with some Russian government officials. Stay with us.
3: So Eugene Kaspersky was educated at a KGB-sponsored cryptography institute, and he later worked for Russian military intelligence. But the reason he's famous is for his company, Kaspersky Lab. It was a company he started 20 years ago in the early days of antivirus security software. And it's made him a rich man. It's also made him the target of some of these congressional and intelligence community attacks.
2: Right. He's viewed at home in Russia kind of the way we think about Mark Zuckerberg, right, here in the U.S.?
4: He is. Here's how he's viewed in Russia. Well, he's a big boss. He's a renowned uh, industry and business leader. That's
3: Oleg Demidov, a Russian cyber warfare expert with the PIR Center, an international security research organization based in Moscow.
4: You cannot uh, often see him in some regularly, regular level conference or industry events. Uh, he appears in the public uh, not so often, but each uh, any any his speech, any his statement in his blog, uh, In many cases, this is going to be an event.
3: Eugene is a boisterous, barrel-chested guy in his 50s. I've met him a few times, and everyone who's met him will tell you the same thing. He's the life of the party. He's gregarious, quick with a joke, and you just get the sense that this guy knows stuff that others don't, like he's plugged into places not
4: a lot of other people are.
2: And his company, Kaspersky Lab, has a big reputation, too.
4: I can tell you that in Moscow here, Kaspersky Lab has been regarded as probably the most successful company in Russian information security, cybersecurity sector.
2: And that success all came from the antivirus software that the company sells.
3: Kaspersky makes deals with retailers and PC makers to install its software on the devices, in some cases even before you buy it. And this part of Kaspersky's business is very large. It's what the company is most known for. I sense a but. But Kaspersky's technology is also pervasive in less obvious places. The company boasts some 400 million users worldwide. But according to one person familiar with how the company counts users, as many as 200 million of those probably don't know it. That's because of undisclosed licensing agreements that put the Kaspersky Lab antivirus system in things like internet routers that power large corporate networks and even critical U.S. infrastructure.
2: Kaspersky was founded in Moscow, but has quickly expanded its business to other markets.
3: More than half of Kaspersky Labs' revenue last year came from the U.S. and Europe, according to the research company IDC.
2: And Eugene knows it's critically important that his clients in the West do not associate him too closely with his government, which of course has been actively hacking political operatives across the U.S. and Europe.
3: Yes, but I do need to emphasize It's not just Russian companies that have to work with the Russian government. I don't think there's a tech company in the world that can just refuse to cooperate with its home government.
2: Right, the Edward Snowden revelations showed a pretty cozy relationship between the NSA and a lot of American tech companies.
3: So it wouldn't be surprising at all to people in the industry if Kaspersky Lab had to keep some amount of contact with the Russian government, complying with legal requests for information and that kind of thing. Those sorts of requests are very routine and happen here in the U.S. too.
2: But then there's the stuff that you've discovered in your reporting with our cybersecurity reporter, Michael Riley.
3: Right. Our reporting shows that Kaspersky has maintained a much closer working relationship with Russia's main intelligence agency, the FSB, than Eugene Kaspersky has publicly admitted. We found evidence that Kaspersky Lab developed custom security technology that the FSB asked for. Plus, we've uncovered some joint projects between the company and Russian intelligence.
2: Coming up, we'll hear the details on Jordan and Mike's investigation. That's right after this short break.
0: I'm Pierre Gadkari, a producer here on Decrypted. We hear a lot about the possibility that robots and algorithms could take away our jobs, but how real is this threat? If you're seeing or experiencing automation at work or suspect your job will be impacted, please get in touch with us. We want to hear your story, even use it for a future episode. Record a voice message on your smartphone and email it to Decrypted at Bloomberg.net. OpenAI's Brad Lightcap, top researcher Dr. Fei-Fei Li of Stanford, and many more. More details and just a few tickets left at Bloomberg.com slash TechSF.
2: Before the break, we were just about to hear the details of your investigation, Jordan, with Mike, that highlighted some of the work that Kaspersky has done for the FSB. So let's hear those details.
3: So my colleague Mike Riley and I recently reviewed internal emails from October 2009, suggesting that, at least back then, Kaspersky Lab had a close working relationship with the FSB. Now remember, that's the main intelligence agency in Russia.
2: Right. And what
3: did that relationship look like? These emails actually come from Eugene Kaspersky himself discussing a project with his senior staff. The emails show that even back in 2009, so again, eight years ago, Kaspersky was making custom software to protect the government's own network from any kind of external hack. And and that doesn't sound that unusual, right? Well, it's one thing to make the software and sell it to the government. But the emails also discuss another type of operation. Kaspersky Labs' own employees appear to have been physically accompanying Russian agents on these raids to locate people thought to be launching hacks or cyber attacks against the government.
2: So not just tracking these hackers down from their offices, but... Actually riding along on the cop cars. Correct. Have you heard of this kind of thing ever happening before?
3: No, never. We talked to lots of cybersecurity experts, and I've never spoken to one who's accompanied a federal law enforcement agent on an arrest. It's very common for private sector security companies here in the U.S. to provide data on criminal hackers to the FBI, which then makes the arrest. Right. And and what else did you find? Those emails, which I should remind everyone, were written in 2009 mentioned two Kaspersky Lab employees by name. One of them was the Kaspersky employee going out on those raids with the FSB agents. In December, the Russian government arrested that man on treason charges for alleged connections to, get this, U.S. intelligence.
2: Which is quite the twist.
3: It is. A senior Russian intelligence official was also arrested. And while we don't know the exact nature of the treason charges... What is clear is that the Russian government is paying very close attention to Kaspersky Lab and its employees.
2: For a company that claims to have no connections to the Russian government, having employees ride along on these raids sounds very much like a connection.
3: And as luck would have it, Mike and I actually broached some of these subjects with Eugene Kaspersky back in 2015 for a profile we did on the company for Bloomberg Businessweek. Eugene Kaspersky agreed to let us record the interview, which was all on the record.
2: And Jordan, this was the first time that you confronted Eugene Kaspersky with information you'd obtained back then about his ties to Russian officials.
3: Correct. And his answers were surprisingly candid, even though he'd later deny saying some of it. Okay, so let's play some of that tape. Well, I'll play you this bit first. This is where Eugene Kaspersky suggests that his company's interactions with law enforcement, both in Russia and in other countries around the world, happen routinely.
1: Well, actually, we are in touch with, uh, well, us everywhere around the world. Uh, we're in touch with the cyber police and cyber security. Uh, and in Russia, the Cyber police is for their low level cyber crime, and there are serious attacks like Carbonac, yep. for example. This level, there's a uh, FSB department which is kind of DHS, right. cyber, cyber DHS. Right. So, of course, uh, we, we work very close to them because well, there's so much crime in Russia.
3: But after quite openly talking about the work that he does with the FSB, Eugene Kaspersky reverts to this favorite punchline of his, which is that he's closer to the FBI in America than he is with Russian authorities. He repeated a version of this on May 11th, where he said, and I quote, we don't have ties to any government other than paying taxes. We pay taxes in many countries, as we are a very international company. Here's the clip.
1: So there are rumors about our very special links in, in Kremlin. I uh, would we'll uh, like to say that, we, of course, we have, we're in touch with these guys. Uh, but I think that in Israel and in the United States, we have much better connections to this no, law enforcement, yeah.
3: And in this interview in 2015, Mike and I asked Eugene about this thing we heard about, where he goes to the Banya with members of the Russian military and Russian intelligence.
2: Banya is a Russian sauna.
3: That's right. And we wanted to ask specifically about this because if it's true, that would suggest he has friendly relationships with people in Russian intelligence.
1: Uh, when I go to Banya, it's like a... They're friends, not only from the company, but we don't talk about business there. Are are some of those friends FSB, military generals, or some of those... No generals, no, no, no. Or military personnel, officers? Uh, Therefore, we have one guy there, It's a friend of us, Uh, he's retired, Uh, he's simply there because... Well, actually, he was responsible for certification. So, to get a military contract like in the United States, in Europe, in Russia, the same, you have to pass a certification. So we were in touch with that man for pff, long years.
2: Okay, so we've gone through some of the details of your investigation, Jordan, with Mike, that suggests that Kaspersky Labs' relationship with Russian intelligence is much closer than the company has publicly admitted. So let's take off the main points.
3: Sure. First, there's the information from the company's internal emails suggesting that Kaspersky Lab employees participated in raids with Russian agents. Then there's the employee who apparently went on those raids, getting arrested by the Russians on treason charges. And of course, there's Eugene Kaspersky himself telling us on the record that he goes to these Banya nights with his friends, some of whom are Russian military and intelligence officials.
2: So let's zoom out to the geopolitical situation. Tensions are mounting with Congress and the FBI looking separately into allegations that Russia was trying to influence the U.S. election.
3: And it isn't just the U.S. Russia's cyber operations have been getting increasingly aggressive in France, the Netherlands and Germany, too.
2: So Kaspersky's wide business network in the U.S., combined with a working relationship with the Russian government, is what's making officials here in the U.S. nervous.
3: For them, even the possibility of Kaspersky's platform being used as a backdoor into computers, firewalls, and routers around the world is terrifying. Although we don't have evidence that the company ever tried to do this.
2: And in a statement, Democratic Senator Jean Shaheen called the ties between Kaspersky and the Kremlin, quote, alarming. And she said it's because of that that the Congress and the administration thinks, quote, Kaspersky Lab cannot be trusted to protect critical infrastructure, particularly computer systems vital to our nation's security.
3: And that fear comes from the very nature of the software that Kaspersky has installed on our computers.
1: They would know the security posture
2: and the security risk of their customers. So they would know if a certain customer is not very uh, security-oriented and um, has a lot of
0: uh, threats detected on its endpoints. They would get a snapshot of uh, what the architecture
1: is, is somewhat like.
3: That's Rob Westervelt, who's an analyst with market research firm IDC. What Rob's saying here is that Kaspersky Lab could easily find out which of its clients would be most vulnerable to an attack. That's enormously valuable in securing those systems or planning an attack.
2: And let's be super clear here. This is all very hypothetical. There's absolutely no evidence that Kaspersky is misusing its access.
3: That's right. It's just this potential that's getting officials worried.
0: There's always a risk there, and there could be a risk. That risk could be repeated by any
1: security vendor. They could have a rogue employee that uh, is doing that. And so, you know, it's virtually impossible for a a security vendor to be
2: probed extremely heavily in in order to tell whether uh, the level of that risk exists.
3: Although in Russia, many people blame the scrutiny Kaspersky Lab is under on politics. Here's the security analyst Oleg again.
4: People in Russia understand well why this is happening now. This is a kind of alarmism, widely spread in the American uh, military community, special services community, and to list extent, to less extent, law enforcement community with regard to Russia and the so-called Russian threat in cyberspace.
2: So at the top of the show, we mentioned that FBI agents visited the homes of some of Kaspersky's U.S. employees. Jordan, what do we know about this so far?
3: Well, we don't know exactly why the FBI agents decided to make those visits. Reports say it has to do with a counterintelligence inquiry. And what does that mean? So counterintelligence means they're looking for foreign spies right here in the U.S. That's pretty interesting. Now, that doesn't necessarily mean the FBI thinks the Kaspersky employees themselves are involved in espionage or even that they know anything about it. But for whatever reason, the FBI apparently thought it was worth the effort to pay them a visit.
2: We also saw news of a Senate bill that will ban the Department of Defense from using Kaspersky's software. The legislation said that Kaspersky lab, quote, might be vulnerable to Russian government influence.
3: Now, let's make this clear. It's not like the Pentagon uses much Kaspersky Lab software anyway. So the idea may not actually do all that much.
2: But we recently reported at Bloomberg that Russia is threatening some kind of retaliation if this bill goes through.
3: We don't have details on what kind of measures that could entail, but the threat from Russia shows just how important this one company could become. In response to this escalating concern over Kaspersky Lab, Eugene Kaspersky himself went on Reddit during the Senate hearing we've mentioned at the top of the show. He repeated the same message he's maintained for years, that the allegations are unfounded conspiracy theories and amount to simple Russia baiting. Eugene Kaspersky said his only ties to the Russian government are the taxes his company pays and even went so far as to say that Kaspersky Lab doesn't share any user data with any government, including Russia.
2: And by the way, we asked Kaspersky Lab for comment on our story today. They said, quote, Kaspersky Lab has always acknowledged that it provides appropriate products and services to governments around the world to protect those organizations from cyber threats. But it does not have any unethical ties or affiliations with any government, including Russia. And where do you think this is going to go? What do you think is going to happen next?
3: Well, the latest development is Eugene Kaspersky has offered to give the U.S. government his company's source code for review. This is not an uncommon thing for companies doing business with the federal government, but many security experts say it's not the point. Uh, The point, they say, is that this software could be used for potentially malicious purposes, independent of what's in the source code. And the reason is security software receives continuous updates. And if any of those updates are malicious, uh, the theory goes uh, the software could be used for for bad intentions.
2: So Jordan, with the U.S. relationship with Russia, where it is now, just tensions being higher than they have in a really long time, do you think a company like Kaspersky Lab even stands a chance in the federal government market?
3: I think Kaspersky Lab is going to find it very, very hard to penetrate the U.S. federal market, and they've all but acknowledged that this really isn't a market they're pursuing. However, on the consumer side, their software is actually really good at what it does, and it has the endorsement of a lot of cybersecurity professionals. So on that side, they, they still see potential for very, very big growth. But Really, what's happening here is uh, just as the U.S. doesn't buy missiles and other weapon systems from foreign countries, we're starting to see the same thing play out in the cybersecurity market. Where if your security software is made by, made in a country that is considered an adversary, you may not have great success here in the U.S. <laughs>
2: And that's it for this week's episode of Decrypted. Thanks for listening.
3: Let us know what you thought of the show. Please record a voice message and send it to Decrypted at
2: Bloomberg.net. Also, I'm on Twitter at JordanR1000. And I'm at Aki Ito7. If you haven't already, please subscribe to our show wherever you get your podcasts. And while you're there, leave us a rating and a review. This really helps us find more listeners for our show.
3: This episode was produced by Pia Godkari. Liz Smith and Magnus Hendrickson. Thanks to Nico Grant for his help on this show. My Business Week story was co-written by Michael Riley and edited by Jeff Muskus. You can read it at Bloomberg.com slash Business Week or in the new Business Week app. Alec McCabe is head of Bloomberg Podcasts. We'll see you next week.
0: From Silicon Valley to Wall Street, top researcher Dr. Fei-Fei of Stanford, and many more. More details and just a few tickets left at Bloomberg.com TechSF.